You're listening to ReachMD. This episode of Living Room, titled Monitoring Disease Activity in Sjogren's Disease, is sponsored by Novartis U.S. Clinical Development and Medical Affairs. The host and speaker have been compensated for their time. This program is intended for healthcare professionals. Here's your host, Dr. Ethan Craig. Unlike diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's disease has no calculable disease activity scores or established guidelines for disease activity monitoring. On this episode, we'll focus on the monitoring of disease activity in both research and clinical environments for this disease. This is ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Ethan Craig. Joining me to discuss disease activity monitoring for Sjogren's disease is Dr. Sarah McCoy. Dr. McCoy is an associate professor of rheumatology at the University of Wisconsin. She also runs the Sjogren's Clinic at the University of Wisconsin and serves on the board of directors for the Sjogren's Foundation. Dr. McCoy, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Dr. McCoy, let's begin with a look at disease activity monitoring in clinical practice. Can you describe your clinical workflow when you're working with Sjogren's patients and the types of measures that you're using and thinking of in a clinical setting? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So at the initial visit, I perform a Shermer's test and an unstimulated whole salivary flow, which sounds pretty complicated, but it's actually pretty easy. So the Shermer's test is just a little strip of paper. You pop in the outer third of the lower lid of someone's eye. And after five minutes, you can measure how much tear flow they've had. And then simultaneously, I do an unstimulated salivary flow, which is essentially having the patient empty their mouth and then drool in a cup for five minutes. And because both are five minutes to save time, Time, I do them both at once. And that gives me an idea of whether or not the patient has Sjogren's disease, so diagnostically and clinically, to see if their disease is progressing in terms of their xerophthalmia or xerostomia. I think that the workflow with a Sjogren's patient is pretty unique. So what I do first is I have a set of questionnaires. I have my patients fill out. And this is actually in the process of evolving. So right now I have them complete an Esprit, a Xerostomia index, and an E10. And this is to screen overall for how they're feeling, what I can target, and then also how their dysphagia is doing. So the Esprit, E-S-S-P-R-I, comprises three visual analog scales from 0 to 10. And the three scales are in the domains of pain, dryness, and fatigue. So it's usually pretty fast to fill out. And I like having these available because they're the cardinal symptoms of Sjogren's disease. And they provide a global view of how the patient is feeling. And then I have them fill out the xerostomia index and the E10 to grasp how their oral dryness is impacting their life and ability to swallow. And I can use the results of the questionnaire pretty quickly to sort of tailor the review systems and steer our initial discussion. And I do think that dysphagia is frequently overlooked. And so I use a questionnaire as a quick screening tool and I can do things like follow therapy or speech therapy referrals based on some of the answers to their questions. I will say that I'm really interested in the promise as another index of determining how the patient is doing, and that's something that I'll be doing in the near future. As another example of how I might use these results, if a patient has really high fatigue, then I might ask them to describe the fatigue. And if it's a physical tiring, I can provide them tips on sleep optimization exercise regimens that might help. And if the fatigue seems more mental, akin to like a brain fog, then I provide tips on cognition and brain health. So in general, once we get the patient seated, I already have a quick snapshot into how they're feeling. 
That's great. And what types of lab and imaging assessments do you perform to monitor patients with Sjogren's? So when I see a patient who's diagnosed with Sjogren's disease and without overlap with other diseases like lupus, I perform a lab evaluation that encompasses disease activity measures, and I also evaluate for organ involvement. So usually I order a CBC with differential, a CMP, and this is important because it has liver tests to screen for things like PBC or autoimmune hepatitis. It gives us our electrolytes, which help us screen for things like RTA or renal tubular acidosis, and also kidney tests to make sure that they aren't getting, you know, pretty rare glomerulonephritis or more common tubular interstitial nephritis. Akin to that, I get a urinalysis and a urine protein to creatinine ratio. And the list goes on because I also get immunoglobulins, cryoglobulins, and rheumatoid factor. And part of the reason why I get these tests is they're part of our SDI, which I'll talk about a little bit later, our disease activity index. I make sure all patients who I'm seeing for the first time don't have HIV or hepatitis C testing. If you listen to the first episode of the podcast, these viruses may serve as a trigger, but also can mimic Sjogren's disease. At the initial visit and intermittently on follow-up, I'll order a serum or urine protein electrophoresis and a beta-2 microglobulin or an LDH. And then I also do want to say in 2021, there was a really nice guideline published in CHEST for how to evaluate and manage Sjogren's patients with lung involvement. And in that guideline, it was recommended to perform a chest x-ray and pulmonary function test as screening on all Sjogren's disease patients, even if they're asymptomatic. So I now perform that at the initial visit. I recommend but don't require a labial salivary gland biopsy or a minor salivary gland biopsy. And this helps us in diagnosis of Sjogren's disease, but also can help in a diagnosed Sjogren's disease patient for prognosis, because we know that a focus score greater than three can be associated with lymphoma genesis and with extraglandular involvement of Sjogren's. And then finally, I quickly pop on the ultrasound, and I do a nice bedside salivary gland ultrasound. And I do this at least at baseline, and we know that the ultrasound can sort of help us also prognosticate things like lymphoma and also help us diagnose causes of glandular enlargement. That's a lot for a visit. So if we shift gears to the research side and the research component of disease monitoring, can you tell us about the current measures that are being used in clinical trials and in other research in Sjogren's disease? Thanks for asking that. Right now, one of our major tools is the ULAR Sjogren's Syndrome Disease Activity Index, or the SDI. And it's a disease activity index, which includes 12 domains developed by a consensus of worldwide experts. What are these 12 domains? So the 12 domains include things like constitutional symptoms or signs, and this is fevers, night sweats, or unintentional weight loss. It includes lymphadenopathy or lymphoma, glandular involvement. Of note, the glandular involvement here is really glandular enlargement. Articular, cutaneous, pulmonary, renal, muscular, peripheral or central nervous system, hematologic and biologic involvement. And that biologic domain includes low complement, cryoglobulinemia, and hypergammaglobulinemia, which again feeds back to why I get some of these labs at some of the visits. Each domain is weighted, and the final score reflects the addition of each weighted affected domain. So the SDI has the benefit of capturing the multi-organ and multifaceted nature of Sjogren's disease, but it does have some weaknesses. So it fails to differentiate acute versus chronic features or things that might be more or less responsive to treatment. 
And it also doesn't really capture the glandular symptoms that are characteristic of Sjogren's disease, right? So we know that Sjogren's disease symptoms have significant dryness as one of the primary things that drives reduced quality of life. But that actually correlates inversely with SDI. So the greater the symptom burden Sjogren's disease, we actually tend to find lower SDIs. To try to address some of these shortfalls, there have been two additional disease activity indices that have been proposed. The first is CRESS, or the composite of relevant endpoints for Sjogren's syndrome. And the second is STAR, which is the Sjogren's tool for assessing response. The CRESS incorporates the ESPRI, which if you remember is that sort of quick, you know, how bad is their pain, dryness, fatigue symptom. And it also includes glandular tear and saliva involvement by incorporating the ocular staining score, the salivary flow. But it doesn't require improvement of symptoms. And that is really important, right? A patient should feel better if a drug is effective. And so here comes the STAR, and the STAR requires improvement in ESPRI and in one of four other domains. So you have to feel better and either have systemic improvement improvement in lacrimal gland function, so tear formation or surface staining, improvement in salivary gland function, like the unstimulated salivary flow, and improvement in the biologic domain. So you can see that we've sort of had these two burgeoning disease activity indices that are coming to the forefront, and I think we'll be hearing a lot more about them in the context of clinical trials. So Dr. McCoy, looking to the future then, are there any measures that you're particularly excited about when it comes to monitoring disease activity for Sjogren's disease? Anything new on the horizon you can think about? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm changing my workflow, and I'm going to try to simplify my questionnaires for my patients, and I'm planning on using the Promise 29, and that's based on Dr. Dana Durenzo, who's at your institution, and her recent study shows Promise provides a broad picture of healthcare-related quality of life in Sjogren's disease. Well, thank you for shouting out Dr. Dorenzo and my institution. I appreciate that. No problem. Well, with these thoughts in mind, I really want to thank our guest, Dr. McCoy, for helping us better understand how we can monitor Sjogren's disease activity and how we can think of doing this in the clinic and in research. You know, Dr. McCoy, it was a great pleasure to speak with you today, and thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. This industry podcast was sponsored by Novartis U.S. Clinical Development and Medical Affairs. If you missed any part of this discussion or to find others in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash Living Room. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.